Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to have you with us. A couple of great examples, people in our greater community that are pursuing righteousness and moving to action from the stuff that we think about and hear about that lives in our heart, moving us to action. Uh, today, uh, we have a great opportunity to continue in our sermon series called Can You See It? Uh, we want to learn about the kingdom of God with the kingdom of heaven in, in the book of Matthew. And we're studying Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, the Sermon of the Mount, in order to, to understand that. Um, yeah, just before we pray and kind of get started, I want to say uh, this church is actively involved in trying to learn more about righteousness. After church, a group from this congregation will be uh, having a meeting with the International Justice Mission, looking at a partnership in the upcoming year. Feel from this congregation, we're meeting with Agros International this week to discuss a partnership with a village in Central America. Lots going on as people from this community are trying to live out their faith in exterior fashion. And we know uh, that this week has been a very challenging week in the lives of believers uh, with what's going on politically, what's going on uh, in, our, in our social media profiles, what's going on in the world. It's hard to know exactly what God's up to. And before we begin, I just want to remind us again that the audacity of the Sermon on the Mount, on these red letters of the Jesus uh, teachings, his greatest sermon ever told, were preached in the middle of the biggest And some say one of the most brutal empires in the history of humanity. And when we hear what Jesus is asking us to consider in the Sermon on the Mount, it feels at a level impossible. And keep in mind, friends, that Jesus delivered this in the midst of the Roman Empire. And saying we are called to hunger, and we are called to thirst, and we will be filled. There's a hopefulness, there's a pursuit for righteousness that starts with us and then moves us to engagement in the world. I'd like you to pray with me and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you so much for giving us your word, giving us your word incarnate. And Father, we pray that as the son spoke these words 2,000 years ago, he would speak them again into our lives. And Father, we want to learn what the kingdom of God is all about. We want to have a hope for what you will do someday when we stand face to face with you and a belief that our present lives matter that your values of heaven are meant to take root here on earth today. And Father, we pray for your people now, coming after a very rough week, worried, stressed, anxious, fearful, people literally marching, Lord, literally worried about the unborn and the refugee. Literally, Father, it feels like for some, the darkest of times. Remind us again, Lord, that you've got this, And that you're calling us first and foremost to worship you. May you live in us. Light us up, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you see it? Week four. The fourth beatitude on Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Our sermon title this morning is, You Will Be Filled. You Will Be Filled. A promise from the scriptures. And then a subtitle this morning that I've just been adding as I've been kind of working on this message is, I don't want to miss it. You will be filled, parentheses, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. When I, I, I played football as a kid growing up, and our team in West Olympia, Capital High School, we were perpetually horrible. Like a great year is to win three games out of a 10-game season. We were just bad forever. And then there was this year. Like late in my high school years, there was a group of kids that came through and, a, and they worked hard and a belief and, and they won some games. 
And they made the playoffs. And for many of us, this was the high point of our entire lives. And so on the evening of the playoff game in the locker room before we took the field, the coach gathered the boys up. And before heading out into the field, we needed one last encouraging word from our coach. What could he say? Because our opponent that evening was the Mighty O'Day High School. Many of those boys already had full-ride Division I scholarships, and we were a bunch of hicks from West Olympia. But we knew our coach had a word for us. And so we waited in anxious anticipation in the locker room of Memorial Coliseum. And the coach said, hey, boys. He didn't really talk like that, but I'm using it for dramatic effect. Yeah, coach. Hey, boys. He says, and we're kind of, we need it. Give us some, something to send us out in what could be a slaughter. But, you know, coach, give us something. And he said, boys, shoot for the moon. And even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And we're like, what? <laughs> what is he saying to us? Are we playing for second place in this two-team competition? Like, what in the world is he trying to encourage, I mean, literally, we're like jogging out to the fields like, oh, okay, we're going to not get maybe the moon, but we'll be with the stars, and it means nothing to us. And guess what? We got crushed, you know? I don't want to blame anyone, but I think if we had a better, like, pep talk, we might have had better odds. The reality was, he was trying to encourage us with the reality that not all games are won. He was trying to encourage us with these words that, you know, kind of live this aspirational value. And if you win or you lose, it's all good anyway. As we turn towards the scriptures, for many of us, we read the Sermon on the Mount. We read the Beatitudes. And it's like we're reading one of these cliche statements. Shoot the moon. When even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. It's, it doesn't mean much. Did Jesus actually mean for us to live these out or not? And a divide has happened in the church where where we say, God, you can have my spiritual life and then the world will have all the rest of me. And it's this, this schism that was never meant or intended by Christ for us to live that way. For as he gathered the broken in front of him on, on, this, on this mountain and delivered this sermon, he wanted them to carry these commands out. So he said to them, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he gives them this promise, you will be filled. And we hear it. Okay, check. I've heard this one. It's kind of a christian statement. Hunger, thirst, righteousness. Check. Got it. And Jesus wants us to pause and reflect and we come to this fourth beatitude. It's, you know, we've had the precursor of the last three beatitudes. We've had the poor in spirit. It's not that. We, we had the, the mourning, and it's, it's not that. We had the meek last week, and the, the middle point between, between disengagement and anger, and it's not that. Today is something else. Jesus is promising us a life in which we can be filled. And it's a good day for a good word. Amen. It's a good day for God to fill us up. Amen? Because if you're like me, you're you're reading your Facebook profile, you're you're reading the Seattle Times, New York Times, and you're thinking, God, you've forgotten about us down here. Like, what in the world should we do? Should we cancel services and drive to SeaTac? Should we cancel services and, and march for the unborn lives? Should we cancel services and march with Black Lives Matter? Like, what do we do? And Jesus says this morning, hunger and thirst for righteousness 
is what we do, and we will be filled. But oftentimes, as we heard from Jeremiah, we have pursuits that don't go to God first. And we drink at broken cisterns. We pursue objects that can't satisfy. And so this morning is an encouragement that, that, that as we hunger and thirst for Christ, it produces the very sustenance for transformed lives, for we will be filled with the glory of God. We don't want to miss it. We will be filled is what the promise is. So let's look at Jesus' three commands from Matthew 5, 6 as we just do this deep dive into the Beatitudes, the, the opening salvo of the greatest sermon ever given as Jesus teaches us on what it is that the kingdom of God. Let's look at this first point in your outline. To be filled, we need first to hunger. In order to be filled, says Jesus, we need first to hunger. Now the words, of course, Jesus would have been speaking in Aramaic. It was a verbal culture when it was written down in Greek. The, the Greek written down is the, the verbs for hunger and thirst that mean intensity of desire or craving or pursuit. This is what hunger looks like. There's a desperateness to it. It's desperately hunger for something. And, and the Greek was written down in what's called the present participle form. And why that matters is means the action is ongoing. Blessed are you when you continue to have desire. Blessed are you when you're still hungry, when you're still thirsty. Now level this is antithetical because we're taught when we come to Christ that, that all of our needs are met. We're told that the righteousness of Christ comes upon us and, and, and we go to Christ, you know, a sinner, and, we, and we, we get restored and it's true. And yet the long walk of discipleship, the long walk, not of justification, because if you believe in Jesus, you've been justified by your faith and your faith alone. You can't earn anything. But the discipleship journey is where we're sanctified. Where we're saying, I know I believe in Jesus, but I want to become more like Jesus. I don't want to stay like how I was. I don't want to have those old desires, those old pursuits. I want to be more like Jesus. And we are called by Christ to stay hungry. Now, oftentimes in the church, what we did is we said, your hunger was bad. Your hunger for intimacy is bad. Don't be physical. We kind of wrap all sexuality up with this danger, you know, stay out, danger, no trespassing stuff. And then we ask parents or we ask kids and as they're kind of raised when they get married to kind of step into this intimacy and all sort of junk remains. Or, or we're, we're worried about relational intimacy and so we kind of hide ourselves off. We're, we're worried about the hunger and Jesus says your hunger can be a good thing. Not just someday when we, when we reach heaven, but in the present tense. We need to, to hunger. And, and in the psalm, Psalm 42, 1, 2 says this, God, you're my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that's dry, desolate, and without water. So we find ourselves in very dry times. We, we find ourselves in very desperate lands. And we're called to, yes, hunger for God to do something different, but it begins as we hunger for more of God in our own hearts. And Tim Keller says this, you can only enter the kingdom when you hunger for a different life. Because, friends, hunger leads to either real transforming action or towards unhealthy desires that won't actually satisfy. Hunger leads somewhere. It always does. In a very practical sense, you're hungry, you're going to fill the need. And so we don't need to teach people not to hunger. We need to teach people that their hunger is rooted in something else. 
Because when you hunger, one of two things will happen. Either one, when you're hungry, you will, you will gorge yourself on the wrong stuff. If you, if you, if you aren't, you're hungry, but you're not going in the right places, you will gorge on the wrong stuff. Now, for me, this is like, this is what I look like, maybe without the facial hair, when I'm feeling very stressed or lonely or anxious or tired. I literally can feel myself walk over and just open the cupboard. And I know what I hunger for can't be filled with the bag of chips or the junk food or whatever. I, I know that. But man, I just want something to feel good. So I just, I start stuffing myself. I start trying to just kind of cover over the craving for, for more intimacy or more friendship or more joy or less stress. I just, I just cover it up and I just, I start stuffing my face because when we're hungry, we'll go two places with the hunger. Now this yields itself on all sorts of destructive habits. And this is how we end up, this is how we end up smoking things we shouldn't smoke and drinking stuff too much that we shouldn't drink or looking at, I mean, these are where the the destructive habits that kind of enslave us begin because we're feeding on the wrong stuff. And the message paraphrase of Isaiah 55, Eugene Peterson translates Isaiah 55 of kind of this unhealthy gorging. He writes this, he says, why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me and listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. And what is the finest of Isaiah 55? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And so when we're hungry, we either feast on the wrong stuff or we have an opportunity to feast on the right stuff. Now, just a quick aside before we kind of talk about the right stuff of hunger is this. Is, is there's a warning the, the, the filling that comes in Matthew 5, 6 isn't when we attain righteousness. No, it's when we feed the hunger. The promise isn't that we're filled once our lives are fully righteous, no sin, absence of any kind of misplaced longing, and we're all good, and we've taken the right path all the time. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's the filling nature, right? No, 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 no. No, no, the, 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 the blessing comes here. The filling comes for those who hunger. So what's the, what's the option to hunger well? It's, it's the second thing is we hunger leads us to pursue more of Jesus. Because a hunger shows desire. And at a level, I know that for many of us in the room, we've been Christians for a long time. If you're not a Christian this morning, thank you for being here. Thank you for kind of trying to check out what's going on in the world. And I pray that as you hunger for deeper meaning, you would turn to a life of following Jesus Christ. It is the one place where your life will be filled. I'd love to talk to you more about that. And for the rest of you, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of on Jesus' side already. I, I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm justified. I, I have a saving relationship with Jesus. Yeah, but let me ask you this question. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Like when you read the newspaper, you can be angry or disengaged, but do you hunger for God to do a new work? Like do you believe that some of what we're seeing is actually Christ setting the table for more of his glory? Is this building faith in you? Or is it building a callousness? Do you wonder if God has fallen asleep? We are called to hunger first for Christ. That's what Jesus would say later in the sermon, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And for many of us in the room, we know hunger. We know hunger for the good life. 
Hunger this week maybe for a different politician. Hunger for different policies. Hunger for, for, for different relationships in your private life. Hunger for a child. Hunger for a spouse. Hunger for your child to maybe leave the home. Hunger for a different status with your parents. We, we understand hunger. But as God's people, we're called to hunger first for God. And then the other stuff comes later. That's what we've been talking about during this whole message. Can you see it? The values of heaven placed in the present tense. And we're called to be working and believing and hungering for this king of this present life. Which means we turn to Jesus. Jesus, I want more of you and less of myself. Jesus, I I don't understand what's going on politically, but I want to believe more in you this week than last week. Jesus, I want to advocate on the side of the marginalized. Jesus, I I, want to stand for the unborn or for the victimized. Jesus, I want to do these things, but may it be you first, Jesus, and then my steps. It's got to be Jesus first. This is what John said in 3.30. The hunger that defines us as believers. He must become greater and I must become less. The goal isn't righteousness. The goal is the hunger for more of Jesus. Because when we start to hunger for a righteous life, we start to put exterior markers for our health. Christ is calling us here, keep hungering for more of me. And don't believe that you've arrived anywhere. Jesus would say this parable in Luke 18. Luke 18 is this warning about staying hungry and not believing that we're already righteous. Verses 9 through 14 of Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, same word, they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, says Jesus, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We're called to stay humble. Hunger breeds humility. Know your hunger. And if you're hungry for for all sorts of things to look differently politically or in our environment, know that we've got to start with a hunger for Christ and Christ alone. This is Psalms 81.10. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and God says, I will fill it. Or put it in another way. You shall be filled so stay hungry and believe that God is by no means done here on earth right now how could he be but our hunger needs to be for for this this pursuing Jesus first and everything else we want to see happen in the world flows through that lens Christ first in me Christ first through me and that leads us to a second point of our outline that to be filled we need to be right with God. We have to unpack this word righteousness if we understand what, what is Christ calling us to be filled. To be filled, second point, we need to be right with God. And so what's Jesus saying here? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now the Greek word here is diakosainai. It's used 92 times in the, in the New Testament. 
It's, it's, it's righteousness. It's approved. It's received. It's accepted. And it's this. It means to be right with God. At a very basic level, righteousness means to be right with God. And we need to pause right there on righteousness because most of the times, the only time we use it in modern days, we talk about righteousness, we talk about self-righteousness. Or more times than not, we talk about moral purity, right? We think about righteousness. If you were to say, oh, that person's really righteous, you'd think, well, they've really arrived at a level of their behavior where it's righteous before men. We, we kind of put righteous all about behavior. That's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Or in another lens, we can talk about righteousness and, and just even the wonderful videos we saw about hearing God's call in their life to advocate, advocate for the marginalized. In this case, sexual trafficking. Super important. But, but the hunger that Christ is calling us to is not moral purity. And the hunger that Christ is calling us to is not advocacy alone. The hunger that Christ is calling us to is pursuit of him first. That, that we would be right with him first. And that our hunger around racial inequality and gender inequality and sexual inequality and now refugee inequality, all of that stuff, we'd be, we'd be people in action. We've got to be people in action. I, I love the action. Trust me, I do. But Jesus is asking me to remind all of us that the, 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 the advocacy, it starts in our discipleship. And there's nothing more dangerous right now in our society than a church fully alive for Jesus Christ. Because if we're fully alive for Jesus Christ, we will advocate. We will march. We will, we will protect the unborn. We'll protect the refugee. We'll do those things. But we don't start there. We start with Jesus Christ. Nothing more dangerous than a church fully alive for Jesus Christ. Nothing and we have this artificial split. Well, what is it? Is it discipleship or advocacy? Is it social action or, or some sort of personal discipleship? It must be both, right? We know this. We know this. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus is on the side of the marginalized. Jesus never used power to threaten. Jesus is a guide. When Jesus says himself in Matthew 25, he tells this warning the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so as we live out Christ's calling in our life, as we live out this whole like, I want to be right with God, we, we have to love others well. We have to. That's what the great command tells us. Love God, love others. Let that be your policy first. And we're reminded again this week, above all weeks, we're not called to a party, we're called to a person of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to get right with God, we're going to need to understand that Christ is calling us to a different form of righteousness. He uses righteousness or right with Godness five times in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 6, verse 10, verse 20, and then uh, chapter 6, verse 1, verse 33. And so Jesus says here that the righteousness is a way of living for the believers that kind of connotates that, that Jesus lives inside of us. And that when our behavior stems from this belief that he's living inside of us, that we have this new righteousness. He would say later in the same sermon, he would say that your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. Now imagine how challenging that would be. You're, you're up on the mountain, you've been healed of your leprosy or your wounds or whatever, and, and you're kind of a down and out person. Jesus gathers you and then he says, I want you to be more righteous even than the Pharisees. On a level, it's impossible 
613 Levitical commands the Pharisees obeyed. Man, they tithed even their spices. Imagine coming in this morning and you're going to use one of these drop boxes because you can't really text to your spices, you know. And so you, you use a drop box, you, kinda, you drop your 10% of what God has given you, you want to give back, and then you bring your like cinnamon shakers, you're going to give like, yeah, that's about 10%. I mean, that would be a disaster. This is what the Pharisees did. And yet Christ is calling you. He's calling these people. He says, if you allow yourself to define by, be defined by your external behavior, you'll never be free. You'll never experience joy. You'll never arrive at a place of righteousness. No, Jesus says, the righteousness I'm calling you to is when you accept my full righteousness in your life and start to live that out, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so privately, that starts to lead us away from destructive choices. And publicly, that love of Christ starts to transform us and and how we speak out against issues. But it all starts that the path of righteousness we walk is more of Jesus in my life. More of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. God, light me up from the inside out. So then I can speak out. But not out of my ability to to try to be something I'm not or trying to to care for others out of my goodness, but Christ, out of your goodness. This is what it looks like. The the righteousness would, would change. It's, it's a new game. It's, it's from the inside out. And for many, many, many of us, this is like being invited into a, a, a punt, pass, and kick competition. You understand how this goes? Like you're, you're, this is happening in schools all around. You got to throw the ball, kick the ball, punt the ball. We measure, and then you, know, you, kinda, you win your school, and then you win the district, and then you win the region. And then we take the, the finest kids from all over, and then we put them in CenturyLink at halftime of a Hawks game. And you're like, hey, I want to I I do these things. I want to practice my faith like a punt, pass, and kick competition. I want to be good. I want to be righteous. I'm in. And they're like, wonderful. You, you've made the finals, and you, you're going to play a guy named Russell. You're like, Russell, that's not a very intimidating name. I've got this. And then up walks this guy standing in the face. And you're like, okay, well, that's not fair. Like, it's not fair if we're going to have a competition of how far I can throw against Russell Wilson. I will never outthrow Russ, this Russ, right? And Christ is saying in a similar way, he's saying, I'm going to give you a new definition of righteousness. It's no longer what you can achieve, your goodness, your rule following, your behavior. Christ is calling us, let my life live in you and accept my righteousness fully to live through you and have this new scorecard from the inside out. And yes, when we speak out, when we pursue justice, when we do these things, it's from Christ's righteousness living inside of us. We've got to be changed from the inside out to get right with God. We've got to be changed. The problem with outside in religion is you're changing the wallpaper and not fixing the foundation. But inside out, when you say, God, I want you to change me first before I even open my mouth or respond on Facebook, change me from the inside out, God. This is where the change starts to happen, from the inside out. When Heather and I got married, uh, we decided to, to pack up. I had an apartment. She was going to move in with me in Spokane. And, and we, we spent almost a month away. We went to visit friends. And then we got on a plane. We backpacked around Italy. And, and we didn't have, you know, any money, nothing. And so I was going to save money at my apartment. I was going to turn off the heat. I was going to shut the blinds. 
I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna even, even like unplug my clocks and my lamps. Yes, and even the refrigerator. Let's unplug the refrigerator. Unplug anything. I want to have zero cost this month because every penny matters. And we had this wonderful honeymoon, and then we came home, and Heather moved into the apartment, and we, you know, you know, walk, maybe I carried her into the. I mean, she wasn't that heavy. I carried her into the. <laughs> Into the apartment, you know, it's like, what's that smell? I don't know. I took the trash out. I emptied the garbage, which is the same as taking the trash out. <laughs> ah, it seems to be coming from the refrigerator because I unplugged it but didn't empty the food out. <laughs> so for a month, everything that was in the upper freezer, down into the fridge, and we opened it, and it was like toxic material. I mean, it was horrible. So how do you clean up a fridge once it gets to that place? Well, you can put newspaper in. You can put baking soda in. We tried everything. I got desperate. And I had some eternity for men. You know the cologne? <laughs> this was a rented apartment, after all. I just, I needed to cover up the stench. It was so bad. Like, the plastic even smelled. We bleached. We tried. So now I'm in the kitchen with eternity for men, spraying all over. Okay, rest assured, I end up buying that refrigerator from my apartment manager. You get the point. Because when things are that bad, when things are really bad, like it's not just spraying over Febreze over something. It's not just covering up and hoping these issues don't exist. No, sometimes we got to do that hard work of just saying, God, I, I want to be filled with you. And that's going to take us to our third point. In order to be filled, we need to be emptied out. We need to be cleansed out from the outside in. In order to be understood, to be filled with Christ, we just can't cover up some things going on in our life with some eternity for men. We've got to do some of this foundation work. And friends, some of us in the room this morning, we've been carrying a lot of garbage for a very long time. And we keep coming to church, or we're, we're trying to do the spiritual life, and I want to be right with God, I want to be filled, but I'm just carrying a lot of stuff. Jesus says you'll be filled, but sometimes in order to be filled, we need to be emptied. The Greek word for filled here, used here, is kortazo, which means fully satisfied or satiated. That when we're, when we're hungering for this right relationship with God, it's not a destination where we're going to be righteous. We're going to be righteous in our pursuit of him, that we can be filled. Because the work of Christ was always feeding hungry people. I mean, anytime someone came hungry, Jesus said, I want to I take care of you. So he fed 5,000. He fed 7,000. He gave the woman at the well. He said, yeah, you, you, you need water, but you actually need, you need a relationship with your Savior. God loves to feed his sheep. Jesus would say in Luke, knock and he'll answer, seek and you shall find. And the one place that we can be fed truly is in Christ alone. As St. Augustine said, oh God, you've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We've got we to gotta hunger to find our rest in Christ. This is the desire. This is the hunger that underscores our other hungers. And so the answer isn't just don't be hungry, but it's to understand that our hunger gives us choices. Said one author about this, it is the desire for God, which is the most fundamental appetite of all. And it's an appetite we can never eliminate. We may seek to disown it, but it will not go away. If we deny that it is there, we shall in fact only divert it to some other object or range of objects. 
And that will mean that we invest some creature or creature with a full burden that our need of God, a burden with no creature, can carry. And this is what God was saying through the prophet of Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins, Jeremiah 2. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And for some of us in the room this morning, some of us, man, what does this broken cistern look like? It means we're trying to fill the need that only God can fill with more destructive habits and choices. And we're carrying around a bunch of junk and we're trying to cover, you know, the walls, cover the wallpaper and not work on the foundation. Or spraying eternity for men instead of dealing with the issue in the refrigerator. As G.K. Chesterton said, the problem with the universe is me. The beginning to enter the kingdom is realizing I am the problem with what's empty about me. And it's very, very easy in present times to know who the problem is, right? It's somebody else. And I'm not saying we don't have issues with people in power. I'm not. I'm not saying to be silent about issues that frustrate you. But I'm saying we need to start with being emptied out and do that hard work of saying, Jesus, I am a sinner, And so change my heart. I want to be filled. In order to be filled, I want to be emptied out. I want to start with you doing a new work in me. And from that place of of filledness, God, you will lead me to engage your issues. And this at a level, if I can just pause and just a little aside, this is the heart of this growing together season we're in. You got a postcard. As a pastor I respect a lot, Matt Chandler said, God does his best work in small rooms. And so come to church, please do, and podcast and and hear messages and listen to worship music. It's all good, but you need community. You need people that can ask you hard questions. You need people that you can just say, it's very hard to worship God right now, and they will accept you with that, and they will challenge you with that. Where does your hope lie? Friends, we need a smaller community to belong to, and so I'll ask you this morning, who do you belong to? If the answer is like, I don't, I don't know. I need you to pursue that. Because in the belonging in smaller community is where intimacy lies. And it's where confession lies. Where you can just say, I can't do this alone. I need to be emptied out. I've been carrying some extra sin this week or extra depression or worry. I don't want to gorge on the wrong stuff. That's not going to take me where I want to be. I need other believers that can challenge me. We need this. I I told you last week we were facing this situation, really scary situation in our neighborhood. We felt very alone and very fearful. Many people prayed for us and we feel very strengthened by that. But I want to tell you about something very beautiful that happened, an outcome from this fear. The outcome of the fear was that the people in our neighborhood started to kind of bond together. There was this email list. And the cars, instead of just driving past, would stop and say, hey, how are you doing? And have you seen anything? Like, everyone realized that we needed each other. And this email string was going together of everyone just kind of keeping a watch of safety over our neighborhood. And one of my neighbors, a couple homes down, I could almost get choked up. He said, I I will stand alert with you. I've lived by this guy for five years. It was only in us expressing our fear that he was able to enter in. And so when we confess our sin to another, we're saying, I don't have all the answers. 
And I know that there's times where I kind of gorge on the wrong stuff, but I need you as Christian community to say, will you stand and watch with me? Blessed are the hungry ones. Blessed are the ones that want to be set right. And of course, friends, we live in this tension. You will wake up tomorrow and you will be discouraged. Or you can get sad. Or you will feel lonely. Like substitute any of the feelings that can hit us. Where we're like, God, you promised to fill us. Why am I so discouraged? I mean, for me, it's anxiety. I, can I just, oh man, so much anxiety this week. God, have you forgotten about us? Every single day, God promises, today is a new day. I want to fill you today. I know we did that thing yesterday. I know that you had that hard path to take between unhealthy choices and feeding on Christ. Today is a new day. And so feed on me. And may our hunger, may our hunger be devoid of the sin that entangles us and pursuing great places where we can, we can find community with one another. And that we would be encouraged to speak out and stand out. And that means a social media post or going to a march or speaking to our neighbors or, or, or starting a, a block watch or any of the things that you want to do. But may it come from one place, friends. May it come from the words of Scripture living inside of you, Jesus Christ, your Lord. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be filled. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it anymore. I mean, shoot the moon. If you miss, it'll be amongst stars. A bunch of junk. I want Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I want his hope living in me. I don't want to miss it. This summer, last summer rather, sorry. Heather had a work thing, and so um, we packed up the kids to go on a hike. Ah, my son was younger, and just put my son on my front, have a kid on my back. I've got other kids with me. I got four kids. That's probably too many, but that's a different sermon. And someone says, hey, you, there's this hike. You got to go Franklin Falls. Great hike with kids. Ah, they're only partly right. We're hiking. Four kids. Kid on my front. Kid on my back. Kids around. We have like two water bottles and about four pistachio nuts. We don't have enough water. We don't have enough food. And the kids keep asking, are you sure we haven't missed it? Are you sure? And I'm like, I, I don't think we've missed it. We're hiking, and it's uphill. It's not being very dramatic. It's not that hard to hike. Franklin Falls is what it's called. But I said, you know what the guidebook says? The guidebook says when we see it, we will, we will know. And the guidebook says just continue on the trail. And are like, well, you know, there was that two-footer back there. That was kind of a falls, right? I'm like, nope, that's not what the guidebook says. And they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're discouraging, and they're discouraged. And they're saying, have we missed it? Have we missed it? And then we stop, because it's like, can you, can you hear that? You could just hear the dull roar. And in the moment we heard it, we knew that we hadn't missed it. And so the kids scrambled up the rocky face, and they kind of take that last turn, and now Franklin falls in all its glory. And, and the kids literally, you know, throwing the kid out of the backpack and off my back. And, you know, and they're running into the water. And they're jumping and laughing and giggling and filling water bottles. And they're, they're, they're totally filled, totally satiated. We didn't miss it. We can't miss it. We will be filled as Christ's people if we continue to pursue Christ. He's not ancillary to the game. 
And he's not silent right now on any issue that he wants us to engage. He's saying, come to me first and I will fill you up. Hunger for me. Hunger. And know your hunger. And pursue me and know that you're right with me. So live into that and do not be clogged and clouded over by the sin that so easily entangles. Confess your sins one to another. We can't miss it. We will be filled. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? And before we pray here, as we call the band up, our heads are, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I just want to take a moment here. I know that for some of us this morning, we're feeling pretty jammed up. We're feeling pretty loaded up. And we're feeling like there's some stuff, there's some entangling. Lord, we, we hear about this fridge and the eternity for men, and we laugh, but in our hearts we know there's stuff going on. There's an issue with a relationship that's not right. There's deep-seated anger or bitterness. There's addiction. There's unhealthy pursuits. And Father, we're not going to go any further before we deal with this right at our doorstep. We're, not, we're tired of changing the wallpaper. It's not a different church. It's not a different speaker. God, it's you calling us to engage you more fully. And so, Father, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Lord, we just want to confess there's a lot going on. We want to just open our hands and our hearts, Lord, and say, take the sin that entangles. Take these unhealthy pursuits I've been gorging on. Lord, clean me out. God, I'm sorry. God, take it all. I leave it now. Take it, Lord. We, we want to be free from that. And with our heads still bowed and our, our eyes still closed, there's some of us in the, more, in the room that are so sad and discouraged, and we need to be filled this morning. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if you want to just have a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning and fresh encouragement in a very dark world, I'd ask you to raise your hand. If you want to be filled with Jesus this morning, I want you to keep raising your hands. It's so beautiful to see so many people saying, Jesus, I want to have a fresh experience with you. All over this room, our hands are going up. You can put your hands down because the one that saw it is Jesus and he wants to fill you up. Friends, this is, this is no joke. He's doing a work here. He's not forgotten about us. We're going to hunger for him. And we're going to pursue a right relationship with him. And we want to empty out the stuff so that God can fill us up. Jesus, we want to pursue you first. And from that place of intimacy, lead us deeper into engagement with all that's going wrong in our world. But start now in our hearts. In your great name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we continue in song? I thank you for being a church that allows me to get up here and just yell at you guys and with us. Um, I said at the front end, I'll say it again. Jesus has the audacity to ask us to believe this stuff in the midst of this most darkened time. The hope of the nations living in us and through us. And so with that on our mouths and in our heads, let's continue in song.